Welcome to Montrose Podcast, the official podcast of Montrose School here in Medfield, Massachusetts, where girls are called to greatness. I'm your host, Mary Cahill Farella, and I'm very happy that you can join us. Maybe you're an avid supporter of Montrose, a current parent, or a friend of the school. Or maybe you're new to Montrose, an independent school for girls in grades 6 through 12, inspired by the teachings of the Catholic Church. Here, young women achieve academic excellence in a rich liberal arts environment by developing enduring habits of mind, heart, and character. Thanks for joining us as we explore topics that highlight the power of a Montrose education and how it affects the world around us. First off, a special thank you to singers in the Montrose community for that rendition of the Latin Christian hymn, Non Nobis. Fun fact, Non Nobis, a prayer of thanksgiving and humility, was featured at the end of a battle scene in Kenneth Branagh's Henry V. Now, on to what girls need to lead. Do you wish you had a coach to help you through conversations with your daughter? Conversations about what happened at school today, how her studies are going, what's happening socially, or just what's on her mind? Then you'll enjoy this conversation with Dr. Karen Bolin, head of school at Montrose. Recently, Dr. Bolin shared with parents from Montrose and the wider community her tips for giving girls what they need to lead, and then stepping back and letting them do it. Have a listen. What we want to do is to look at coaching and a skill set for coaching girls. So your daughter comes home and says someone is texting something mean, posting mean things about me or about someone else. Um, and you see her first reaction. She might be indignant, she might be angry, she might be hurt if she's on the receiving end. And your instinct might be, mama bear, I wanna go beat that person up. I'm gonna go call that person's parents. Um, whatever, there's a first reaction that you have and that she has. And then you could ask her, well, what was her first reaction when she saw it? Did she, did she watch it? Did she stand by? Um, did she join in? Or just, what, what happened there? And so it's important that we leave space. We honor the first reaction. We honor the first reaction, because it may have been motivated by fear. It may have been motivated by impulsiveness. Um, it's just raw emotion, and it's fair. Our emotions are real. They give us a lot of data. Um, Susan David at Harvard wrote Emotional Agility. She said, emotions give us data, but not direction. The important thing is to, is to stop, press pause, and say, okay, you know what, what is this pointed towards? I'm upset. I'm upset because I think someone in the class is being hurt. Um, what do I do about that now? And so we ask ourselves, we stop, we reflect and say, what, what am I aiming at? Who do I want to be? I want to help this person, but I don't really know what to say. I don't know how to solve it. Um, I, I do care. I'm a citizen of the school community. Um, and so it's helpful. We always tell the students, solve it or report it. This is true at neighborhood, at the neighborhood, at home, in what I call red flag issues. Someone's engaged in self-harm. 
a friend of theirs in a very dangerous relationship, solve it or report it. Safety trumps privacy. When you feel over your head, or you're worried about someone else's behavior, solve it or report it. And we've got to give them that language. We've got to coach them in that cue so they know I'm not betraying someone's confidence because safety trumps privacy. Um, I can do the best I can here, but you know what, I really can't sell this, so I will balance it up to someone who can help, a parent, a teacher, advisor. Developing that critical skill set is important, but it, as important as the mindset to press pause, stop, and reflect. Um, so this is, this is really the compass that helps them navigate. Ultimately, our true north is what we're aiming at. We want this to help our daughters grow in dignity and confidence in who they are and who they're called to be. And we want them to have great images of, of who that person is. We want them in the face of that sting, that hurt, that upset, to stop and reflect. And ask some key questions. What do I know? What do I need to know? Who can help? Once I do that, it's like a problem at work. Wait a minute, who needs to come to the table for this meeting? How do we solve it? What do we know? What other information do we need? What data do we need? How do we make a good decision? Once we do that due diligence, then we can recalibrate and align our efforts and make a plan to respond. And developing the agility, again, this is what coaches do. Keep your head in the game. Did you see what happened? Look at how you're moving your foot. This is, now try it again. Remember, keep this one thing in mind. Coaching conversations are where it's at. But it also takes a lot of listening um, and then letting them respond. What do you think you can do? How can, how can I help? I have a paper test, big game tomorrow. There's a lot going on. I'm stressed out. You know, one person might uh, burst into tears in the car, catastrophize, get on her group chat, have everybody complain about how awful it is for about 90 minutes, um, then stay up really late uh, and do it, come in, talk about how late I stayed up, how awful it was, but damn it, I got it done. Um, Another person might be overwhelmed and escape into distraction, play some video games, um, get hooked on a Netflix series, and then the next day say, uh-oh, I left in my locker, not sure what happened, not sure where my assignment is. Um, so we have different reactions. We fall across the gamut. It's not, and, and they're all, it's legitimate to feel this way. It's what we want to do is engage the freedom, honey, I understand why you're upset. Um, what bothers you the most about this? Well, you know, I, it bothers me, what bothers me the most about this, I haven't gotten sleep in a week, and we're, we don't have any time to spend with each other as classmates, and it's, senior year is supposed to be our happiest year. Um, okay, fine, um, I understand that, period. Um, what do you think you can do about it? What do you think you can do about it? then stop and don't say anything. Don't answer the question. Resist. <laughs> it's really important to ask them what bothers them the most. It's really important to validate their feelings. It is really important not to fix it and not to offer a solution. Because they're kind of excited. Like, well, what do you mean, what can I do about it? Well, what do you think you can do about it? Um, and once you've asked that question, what do you think you can do about it? What small thing could you do? And they might say they want to go see the teacher tomorrow, or they might. Then, after they've said what they can do about it, 
then you can say, how can I help? Don't say, would you like me to do X? Would you like me to do Y? Say, how can I help? And it's always good, too, to realize a, a coaching conversation, five minutes, if they're really riled up about something, let them talk for five minutes without you interrupting them. You know, set your time at the o'clock. That allows them to get a lot out. And then say, you know, is that all? You know, what else? Tell me more. Leave the ball in her court. So she knows you have a listening disposition. You have a coaching disposition. You're not just going to solve it, fix it, sweep it away. Because again, our job is we want to know what's at the core of this, and we want to help her recalibrate. Let's aim at what are you aiming at? And think of it as the same practice when you're giving feedback to someone you supervise. And you have to sort of walk through where I want to get them to be. How can I help? Say, what can you do? Try this out. Practice the conversation. These things are hard skills. These are hard in marriage and life. And so, of course, we want to help them practice. And it's okay if they blow it. It's okay if they used always, never, and but. <laughs> and came home and said, ah. Oh. And then they and just say, it's all right. Let's recalibrate. You know, let's reflect. What, what did you want to do? Do you want to write her a note? Now, go back. Try over. Iterative process is okay. We say it's okay. We say it's the right thing to do. Let's say it's okay in this messy world of learning to lead and act with strength and character. I have kids tell me all the time that in college, one small change, one small step is so empowering whenever I'm overwhelmed by something. All that matters is how we respond today, now. Not what we did yesterday, not what we have to do tomorrow, but how we respond today and now, and how she responds today and now. And we have a very frenetic society and world, making all sorts of demands on our time, attention, what we need to be focusing on, leaning towards. But if we can help them stay in the moment and practice these coaching conversations, so she develops those habits of reflection, recalibration, aiming, going deeper, aiming higher um, in what's most important, you're going to have incredible leaders, and you already do, but we, the world needs women who can lead at this level with this kind of agility and depth and strength in order to confront the challenges of our day and, and rebuild our, our culture and our, our civilization. listen in on my conversation with Dr. Bolin about what it means to give our students the strategies and habits they need to be critical thinkers and informed leaders. When you gave that talk, you started out by asking all of us parents in attendance, what do you want most for your daughter or your son as they go through life? So what were some of the answers that you get when you ask a question like that? And are there answers that surprise you? You know, surprisingly, I, I've asked this question in a lot of different audiences, not only at Montrose, but um, I've asked it very recently uh, to an audience just outside of Boston, and there's a lot of resonance. I want my son and daughter to be happy. I want them to be grounded. I want them to have integrity. I want them to um, be fulfilled. I want them to be honest. I want them to be engaged citizens. I want them to be kind. I want them to care. And I always pause and say any anything else. Um, I, I never hear anything 
about I want them to go to top tier universities. I never hear anything about net worth. And I've I talked to parents um, from schools and communities who really care about education and who really care about their children's success. But fundamentally, at core, what parents care about with the long view in mind is what does it mean for my son or daughter to thrive, to be happy for the rest of his or her life? Mm-hmm. And and that kind of real goal, as opposed to maybe worldly goals that we're used to hearing about, success and drive and that kind of thing, thriving is something different because it's taking all of our gifts and it's showing us the path on a way that we can have tremendous success. That's right. But also be fulfilled and be leading lives that have purpose and meaning and you know, that we're not just fulfilling ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, They're it, not mutually exclusive. Right. Being successful academically, professionally. In fact, they're they're very interrelated. Um, and, and so often we focus day to day on readiness for the tests of life. Not for the, excuse me, we, we, we focus on readiness for the, the next test, the next exam, um, the next entrance, the next promotion. And we don't focus enough on readiness for the tests of life. And that's really when you think about what girls need to lead, what anyone needs to leave. It's those enduring habits that help them be thoughtful, agile, so that they can deal with those tests of life. Because life's the big game. (laughs) We always prepare for the big game, thinking Mm -hmm. it's a a single event. Right. But how we play life really matters. And that's another analogy I loved that you brought up is that when you saw wonderful coaches, you thought, look at them go. They prepare their athletes to go down the field and do what they need to do. And how can we teach more like coaches. Mm. So tell me more about that. Yeah, I always say to parents and to teachers, um, we envy coaches, we envy play directors because magically they bring young people onto the field and everyone's willing to practice because they want to play in the game. Everyone's willing to show up for rehearsal. They, they look forward to that performance and that there's not always that magic in the classroom or at home when you're trying to encourage your son or daughter to make his bad or complete her homework before bedtime. There, there's there's something really motivating when you're thinking about the game, you're thinking about the, the performance. And kids respond to the coach because they know the coach is going to help them improve their layup. Um, they know the coach is going to help them perform better on stage. And when we see a young person struggling, our tendency as an educator sometimes is to tell them what to do. And it's so important to kind of step back and ask the right questions. You know, what are you struggling with the most? What have you tried? Tell me about that. Um, And how would you like me to help? Because when we ask the right questions, we put them in the driver's seat of their own learning and growth. And we're not, they're not just doing what mom or dad or the teacher's telling them to do. They're beginning to think about, well, why and how can I improve? And what have I tried? And um, done well in, in the past? What have I tried and failed in in the past? And again, it's very clear in sports. It's very clear 
in the play, but we sometimes uh, forget that we too need to slow down and coach them in those skills. Um, and the best way to do it is to, is to ask those questions. It's a lot like driving a car. You know, nobody really looks forward to teaching their son or daughter how to drive, although unless you've got a lot of little ones at home and you're really looking forward to their running the errands and driving the carpool. But there's something about a young person getting behind the wheel of a vehicle that's daunting to a parent. And yet, you know, you don't have a brake in the front seat. You can't reach over and drive that car for them. They have to get the feel. They have to make the mistakes. And that's a great position to be in because it reminds us more often than not the kind of coaching they need from us to let them try it, to let them get the feel, to let them assess how they're doing, to really reflect on where they can improve and own the small changes. Yeah. And that that is transferable from the classroom to the field to I feel like it's been especially helpful for me as a parent since hearing your talk. That's the nugget that I brought back was especially with interpersonal conflict. Sometimes a kid just needs to blurt it all out and tell you everything. But that one question, tell me what, what bothers you most about this, mm -hmm. helps them focus on what the heart of the situation is. And then asking them again, what have you tried or what are you thinking about doing about this helps them think, how can I be helping this situation mm -hmm. that bothers me? And those couple steps along this road, which is hopefully a continuing conversation we're having with our kids, are so helpful to giving them that signal, you can do this. Right. You can handle this situation that seems right now out of control. You, you need help, but you're going to do it and I'm here to help you. Right. And affording them the wait time, not responding if they don't say something right away. In the classroom, you, you encourage a teacher 10 seconds wait time before responding to the first hand in the air. For parents, even longer. We ask a question. If we answer it before they do, then we may not. Uh, we're not. We don't give them the opportunity to respond with what's really on their mind. And... And that's so important. And sometimes say, it's okay if you're not ready to talk about that right now. If you want to think about it, sure, take 24 hours or we'll talk about that later. But taking them seriously as persons by saying, I know you can give some consideration to this. And I know you've got an idea for a small change or a small step. And I want to hear it before we prescribe it. That's, that's so important, particularly with emerging young adults. Especially if they, think, back. Yeah, if they think we have that answer we're looking for. Right. It occurs to me. So I had a, a, an example this week with my son. We're getting ready to, to go on a road trip. And I said to him, do you want to bring your saxophone? Now, he just had a big concert, so he doesn't have to bring it to prepare. He doesn't have a big game coming up with that. And he might have thought that I wanted him to say, yes, I want to bring my saxophone and, you know, practice every day. I was really asking him, do you want to pack it or not? And we kind of went through a bunch of the options. And he said, well, I know you're going to say you want me to pack it. And I said, that's not what I said. I just want to hear what's your thinking behind it. And he said, well, it is vacation and it would be nice to take a break from it. But I can understand that. He just had a big concert. But the resolution we got to was that he wants to bring it with no pressure to play it and only play stuff that's fun 
So it's like, I said, you know what? This is just like bringing a book for reading pleasure. This is Mm -hmm. what you should be doing when you take a break. It was a great resolution. But if I had been too prescriptive and he thought I did have an answer in mind, if he was looking to just answer me the way I wanted to be answered, we wouldn't have achieved a much healthier resolution to what wasn't even really a, a source of a problem, just a healthy idea. And how can we encourage these kids to also find their breaks, you know, know how to dial it back? That's a great anecdote. And how wonderful he had that opportunity to hear from you and to realize, oh, she's not really after me for something. I think I can talk to mom about what I'd like to do. Right. I think I can just say how I'm feeling about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, together, I feel like we can help them focus on the next best step for them. Um, Your talk was part of our Montrose Life Compass Institute speaker series. And I was wondering if you could walk me through how that institute began and what the vision is for that. Sure. I think the concept of the life compass is a really important one at Montrose. And it really emerges from this question of what is it that girls take with them when they leave here? Um, What is it they take with them to college, to their professional work, to all of their life opportunities and challenges. And it's those, those dispositions, those, those habits of mind, those habits of heart, those habits of character to navigate any environment, their college campus, the classroom, their social lives. And that's really at the core of what we do. And you think, what does it mean to build a life compass? Uh, effectively, Every day we face different tests and challenges. We've got stress tests and leisure tests. A dear friend and colleague of mine from Boston University, Steve Tigner, introduced this concept of the stress tests of character and the leisure leisure tests of character. When you have the leisure to do as you please, no one's looking. Um, You can decide to spend your afternoon, you know, flipping through social media, or you can spend some time doing homework, time with family, then take breaks looking at social media. Um, But every day we face these tests. The stress test might be, you know, I have a big test. I have a big game. I've I've got a little, only a little bit of time and I'm really anxious about what I have to do and I don't know where to begin. Or a stress test might be much more significant, like a serious diagnosis, um, someone in the family who's who's ill, someone we're worried about, um, not getting a part in a play or um, making a cut on a team and being really disappointed. So life presents us with these questions and challenges every day. And we're all going to react to them. And we're going to react differently to them based on how we're raised, what our experiences are, what our temperament is. And that first reaction might be, might be fear, might be worry, could be anxiety, but when we really stop and reflect on who we are, who we're called to be, you know, what God wants from me in this moment, we can let the, that first reaction sort of cool down a little bit right. and, and ask ourselves, you know, what, what kind of help do I need? Who do I need to talk to? Um, how can I work this out? Um, but we stop and reflect on what am I aiming at in this 
situation. Am I aiming to be angry for the rest of the season because I didn't make the team? Or am I aiming at being engaged in something athletically or being involved with this team and, and asking to be a manager? When we ask those questions of ourselves and say, what's, how would the best version of myself respond to this particular problem? Then we're cooking with gas. Then all of a sudden, I'm freer to reframe this situation, not just as a problem, not just as a disappointment, but sort of an opportunity to grow, you know? Yeah. And you go to physical therapy and your, um, your knee is stiff, your, your back is stiff. You've, you've got to practice gentle stretches. You've got to practice a little weight-bearing without resistance and pulls you don't gain back strength you don't gain back the agility so the stress tests in our life are not bad we don't they're inevitable and part of growing up is is learning what's in our toolkit that helps me get perspective reframe this ask the right questions and so it's that first how do I reflect once I can reflect on what does the best version of myself want to do, want to be six months from now? Where do I want to be six months from now in terms of my attitude and my choices? Then we can recalibrate. Then we can make one small change of attitude, of decision, and we're freer to respond in, in a way that befits who I am. Right. And, and, and it's that reflection, that recalibration, that response. That's really what practical wisdom is all about. And parenting. It's like put your and, own gas mask on, put right. your own oxygen mask on before you can minister to these children. Mm-hmm. Um, again, another personal anecdote from this past week where we went to the hospital to visit my father-in-law. And we all had that level of different levels, but anxiety mm-hmm. and kind of fear. How's it going to be? That kind of thing. And my husband and I stepped back. And we said, let you go up first and spend some time with your dad. And then you come on down when you want, if you want, you know, more company. And so we brought a couple of the older kids in. Then we went back with the younger children. And by the time we were there as a group together, we just decided to start singing with them. And that was not something I would have anticipated had we not taken that in stages and steps and at different age levels to say, what's going to work for everybody here? And sure enough, even though he hadn't been that communicative that day, he sang a couple, you know, I've been working on the railroads with us. And it was a beautiful, joyful experience that I think when we were all feeling fearful, no one of us could have foreseen. But by putting yourself in that place and taking the time to really think and reflect and then be able to respond, it's such a gift. And we need to do it as parents and especially important for us to do it because if we're not doing it, when we're met with our kids out of control moments, right? If we just go out of control with them, that teaches them that the whole world's out of control. That's right. That's right. We need to make space to just press pause and trust. You know, this this storm has a path, and storms come and they go. And the important thing is not to overreact to it and, and just kind of allow those emotions okay to honor those first reactions and emotions and i'm sure in your family with your father-in-law some people were afraid um some people were sad some people were nervous some people were anxious as you said and just keeping it simple one small step one at a time 
it, it doesn't take much to be courageous for a minute, for a few minutes, stand in his presence, say a few words. And that's how we really guide young people through stress tests too, is to keep it really small. What's one small change I could make? But first we have to honor those very real feelings. There's nothing wrong with feeling fear. There's nothing wrong with feeling anxiety. And just kind of let that ride. I feel that way because I love this person. I've never experienced someone this unwell. I feel this way because I've never experienced this kind of disappointment. That's okay. And I think we start there and not try to fix it, not try to make that feeling go away, um, but to honor it and then say, okay, I still have the freedom to choose my response to this and to understand that all of these stress tests are tremendous as a good friend of mine says, sometimes God gives us opportunities, gift wrapped as problems because they're the opportunity to discover a new strength or skill. They're the opportunity to grow and courage. They're the opportunity to um, be resilient. And these are precisely the strengths that all of the parents and educators I meet with say they want for their children as young adults. Um, And so, but we're so uh, hardwired to protect and to put out fires and to make things go away. And that actually sends just the wrong message to young people. It sends the message, gosh, what happened to me is serious and a crisis. And I guess if the adults are upset about it too, and they want to fix it right away too, then something's really wrong. And I don't need to work through this. Um, So this idea of practical wisdom of, you know, who am I called to be? You know, what, what am I aiming at in this situation? How can I reframe it and see what the best version of myself might consider doing or trying in a small practical way? And then respond freely, peacefully. That's huge. And, the, and practicing those, like it occurs to me that when when you have a game or you have a play, that's kind of a scheduled stress test. Yes. Where you're setting aside some time and you're going to be under great stress. Yes. And then when you have regular life issues and problems that are going to come, you haven't scheduled those. That's those right. you have to improvise. So your habits of heart, mind, and character are they're everything you've got. Yeah. They are your toolbox. Right. And they help you when it's stress that you couldn't have foreseen. That's right. Well, Karen, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And like I said, I can't wait to share this with all of our listeners. Thanks so much, Mary. Appreciate it. Please visit MontroSchool.org and click on Montrose Podcast at the top to find links to the video of Dr. Boland's presentation on what girls need to lead, as well as other helpful references. I'm your host, Mary Cahill Farella, and I'm glad you could join us for this episode of Montrose Podcast featuring our head of school, Dr. Karen Boland. That's it for this episode of Montrose Podcast. Please subscribe and listen to our other episodes to hear more about what contributes to our students' high academic achievement and, just as importantly, their character development. 
You'll hear from teachers, alumni, and outside experts on topics like design thinking, why math matters, and habits of mind. Learn about the ambition of the Montrose mission, the relevance of the conversations started here, and how our students leave Montrose prepared for the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead. Thanks for listening, and let's keep the conversation going. Thank you.